Welcome to episode nine of the Dynasty Dad podcast. I'm your host, Michael Royer. You can find me on Twitter at Dynasty underscore Dad FF. And before we get to our great guests this week, I want to read some of these five-star reviews that you guys left. You guys left over 10 of them this week. So we're only going to read a few here so our guest doesn't fall asleep while he's waiting. But the mm-hmm. uh, the reviews that we have here, uh, the first one's left from Gmo the Icon. He wrote, great listen. I recommend to sub to this pod if you're planning on winning. So hopefully most of you guys are planning on winning. So I love that one. Uh, the next one comes from Dynasty FF Addict. Great pod, entertaining with good info and good guests. Give it a listen and you won't regret it. Thank you very much. And then the last one is from Fantasy Football Addict. Uh, the Dynasty Dad is such fun, laid-back podcast to listen to for all you fantasy football advice. Love the guests and the banter between all of them each time. The Dynasty Dad has definitely made me rethink several players and where I would be comfortable drafting them going into the 2020 season. Great guy in the fantasy football Twitter community as well. So speaking of great guys in the fantasy Twitter community, um, <laughs> we're, <laughs> we're privileged to have on senior writer at DLF, uh, the host of the Dynasty Crossroads, writer of things, as he puts, and a member of the illustrious Thundercats Ho division of Scott Fishbowl 10. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Peter Howard. How hey, you buddy. doing today? Uh, pretty good. Yourself? Uh, I'm excited to have you on here after you you know, kept sniping all my guys in the draft there. I knew it was time to uh, get another great mind here on the Dynasty Dad podcast. So looking forward Neat. to talking to you here for the next hour. Yeah, it should be fun. All right. Why don't you tell the listeners, and I use probably how you start out every podcast, but basically your dynasty life story. You know, how do you how did you get from that first league where you, you know, you're probably playing redraft like most of us, got into a dynasty league to now one of the most trusted in analytics in the entire community? I don't know any of that is true. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I'm I don't know, man. Okay, you're um, one of one of my most trusted. How about that? Okay, I appreciate it. Uh, I really do. Um, let's see. I know uh, someone asked me to play in a league um, that was a redraft league on ESPN. I really enjoyed it. I did pretty well since I didn't know what the game was or the game that was based on the game. Um, And I liked it the second year as well. So I just started looking for a more permanent format. At the time, I didn't quite appreciate the difference between Dynasty and um, redraft. And But I heard of this thing called Dynasty, so I just started asking around because – my search game was weak at the time, I guess, because I couldn't find it. I couldn't find, well, I found my fantasy league a few different times, but finding it doesn't mean you get, there's no page where you can join a league or join a group that wants to make a league or anything. You basically have to know someone, which is a weird part about our little community. And so, um, yeah, I ended up here. I don't know. I, uh, next day I was here. That's basically it. I just started asking around and someone mentioned, you've really got to be on Twitter. And I was like, okay, and then someone mentioned you should really uh, hit up the DLF forum because there's a lot of conversations there, a lot of leagues get started there. I was like, okay. And um, the more research I was doing, I was noticing a lot of stuff people like to say, and I, I like to think, just wasn't kind of true at all. Like uh, some of the stories we like to tell ourselves are fine. I mean, they make logical sense. It, could, it makes a lot of sense, but it's just a story. You know, you hear something like, you know, the wide receiver one's really good, so the wide receiver two's going to get less coverage. It sounds great. It makes perfect logical sense, and that's the way the world should work. But as we know, just in life, world doesn't the world doesn't really give a shit about what makes sense or the way it should work. It just works slightly differently. And so, um, yeah, 
so I started posting a few things, especially about rookies. That's really where I started doing rookie prospecting because I couldn't find a lot of the data. I kept listening to good podcasts with really intelligent people that had access to all this market share data and, and player profile I was up at the time. And that was pretty cool because you could see it, but I wanted to search it. I wanted to like use it. Um, and it was really difficult to do that without getting behind the paywall, which I'm not normally able to do. So I started collecting it by hand, basically. And then someone took pity on me and gave me like a big data dump. And then someone else took pity on me and gave me another one. And uh, yeah, it just kind of spiraled from there into the reason I don't see my family anymore. Basically, that's the net result. The, the moral of the story is is just keep grinding until people take pity on us, and then they uh, basically, yeah, yeah. Okay. I I find it interesting that like you know we we search. I I did the same thing, searched MFL, and you really only get into dynasty football if you know somebody that else is into it, and it's like a gateway thing. You know, you get in that first league, and then you just got to have more. And, and I mean, I feel like I've introduced so many of my friends to it, and once you do it, you're hooked. Um, well, honestly, I got the got to the point. Where you know you work hard on your roster. You, I I always did a pretty kick-ass draft. I did well on the waiver wire, and then you just give them up. And I was like, I kind of want to keep these players. Like, why do I have to do all this work again? Um, again, I didn't really appreciate some of the differences from Dynasty or how that works to redraft at the time. But that's the impetus that got me into it. And like I said, then you end up finding the community and. I know everyone in our game wants to prove they're the best, most Evan Silver-like analyst out there, and that was just never my play. I was like, I just like being here. I do a lot of research. Here it is. <laughs> it helps me make decisions. Maybe it'll help you make decisions. Uh, because it's it's tough, man. We've all been on the clock, and you're like, I like both of them. I've been saying I'm a truther on these, these three players. How do I choose? And, you know, it's difficult. Frankly, there's not always something that can help, but that's what I'm always looking for, just something to help me with my fantasy leagues, not to be the best in the world or win bunches of money, just, you know, to have something that's true that can guide me so I can have fun in my league without worrying. I'm, you know, doing something stupid, which yeah, normally I, I do. Absolutely love it. Um, you know, we, we try to take in as much content as we can and try to do as much research as we can. Uh, but I am the dynasty dad. And, you know, we had our draft. I got my draft board behind me with my kids and you said it there, you know, you want player, player X or player Y and we both like them. Now trying to do that with I have a 7, 9, 11, and 13-year-old. My 7-year-old's like, I like this guy and this. I like that guy. What do I do, Dad? You know, and like <laughs> in our scenario, we kind of try to tell ourselves narratives. But in the mind of a 7-year-old, is like, what do you do here? Um, as far as mixing, you know, you, you say you don't get to see your family quite that much. But as far as uh, mixing family life and fantasy football, you know, tell me a little bit about that dad life, a little bit about how fantasy football and, and football ties in with you guys. It doesn't much, and I'm sad to say that because I've seen people talk about how they're mixing it up. Zach Reed from the Dynasty Dummies is always engaging his kids. They're a little younger in the stuff that he's doing. But um, I got into it. Uh, my son's a teenager now, and he wants to be interested because, you know, he's a good son. I like to think we have a pretty good relationship, but I can tell it's pity interest, which is fine. <laughs> but we like all do it, that. Um, I don't really want to push my kids into something because I enjoy it. And I've never really felt a strong sense that they're actively like Sam's not overly interested in it. So, you know, I, every now and again, I think I should really try and do something a little bit more like a family league or something, but I'm never going to get my wife overly interested in it. It's just not her thing. Um, my daughter, um, I know jury's still out on that. She's a little younger, so it's a little easier, but she's very into mermaids right now rather than uh, anything to do with her dad. 
and uh, Sam's really into gaming. So unfortunately, it doesn't cross over a lot. It's mostly um, mostly just like, you know, dad, dad's going to go to the basement for a while now. <laughs> that's, that's the interaction, which is a little sad. I hate to say it. Yeah, Dynasty Outhouse was saying I'm more of the uh, Frank Gore of this. I'm trying to play it until my kids want to take over my leagues. Um, <laughs> you know, but it's it, it's fun just engaging with them. You said your daughter. My daughter actually came down this this year with a – it was the most proud dad moment ever, but she had three pages of Fantasy Pros ADP notes for our in-house league. You know, oh, that's pretty cool. And I was like, that's super cool. So, hey, let's get down to business here. You know, I want to talk about our week one matchups. I want to talk it, you know, weave in a little bit of our, our dynasty insights, some of the players you got. And as well as, you know, I know you, I've heard you talk about it, but see how the Vegas odds things have things stacked up, you know, the over-unders and things like that. Oh, okay. Which, which leads me into, you know, our we. I'm very excited to announce that it partners with Thrive Fantasy for the upcoming NFL season. You guys can stake your claim at $50,000 week one in Thrive Fantasy prizes. Simply use the code DAD for $20 in your startup bonus. If you guys deposit $20, using the code DAD will give you an extra $20 for this DFS prop bet hybrid app. So instead of just putting in your straight lineup, you guys can bet on individual players like Drew Brees. Will he throw for 285.5 yards over or under? Or Stefan Diggs, 6.5. I'm really interested to try them out this year. You guys should as well. That's thrive.com. And it's on my Twitter page. You guys can check that out. So... Jumping right into it here, week week one, we're so excited. You know, like we did all the work for Dynasty. In redraft, you know, your work is you show up and you draft. But in Dynasty, we've put in all the work. We've made the trades. Last year, I made 127 Dynasty trades, so I am that uh, trade whore, if you will. I'm out there all the time throwing <laughs> out deals. But now we're ready to get going week one. First matchup, Philadelphia at Washington with the Eagles as 5.5-point favorites, you know, with the over-under at 45. So let's start with Miles Sanders. You know, he seems to be ready to go from that injury. Washington was 31st against the run last year, only behind Cincinnati. Do you trust Miles Sanders week one? And is Miles Sanders a guy, you know, right now he's going in DLF as RB11. Do you think that's fair with where he should go or where do you have him ranked? So first, are you trusting in week one? You almost have to, but where do you see him? <laughs> yeah, if you're, if you're drafting them there, you have to. And yeah, definitely. I mean, the yeah. I mean, that's why you draft him that high. He's a running back that's in less of a committee with a three-down skill set. Um, don't have much of an opinion on defensive matchups. I mean, I got Vegas lines, well, one version. That's the weird thing about Vegas lines. It's like a million versions, so yours are probably going to say something different than mine. Um, but, yeah, he's eminently plug-inable. He should be in your RB spot. If he's on your roster, you should definitely be starting him. Um, I've been, I've gone with a fairly low Vegas total right now of about 44 points for the game. Um, I don't know if that matches up with yours, but I'm not that worried just because that's it's not how I play, decide who's going to start my running back slot. To be honest, especially in week one when Vegas lines are going to be their sloppiest early on. Yeah, yeah, and there's there's a lot to come up with here. I mean, to to deal with Miles Sanders and how much is Boston Scott going to get work here? As far as ranks, you know, they have him at a DLF as RB eleven. Is that seem fair to you, or do you have him a little higher, a little lower? Ooh, uh, sorry, I'm prepared for that rule. Um, I have a thing here. Normally, I don't pull up sheets, but where I'm so underprepared to talk about this as a subject, I'm like uh, rushing to one. <laughs> Um, but no, I got, yeah, I got my exact positional rank around here. So my, I have him in the top 12 overall in dynasty. I'm pretty sure. So yeah, he's, he's a top 12 running back. Yeah. I actually have him one spot higher than DLS ADP right now as running back 10. To me, he represents the same bed as Clyde Edwards Hilaire 
um, to be honest with you, but we know more about him in the NFL. Yeah. Like he was really good. The, the Eagles certainly seem to have seen what they want to see. Um, the fears of that committee, I get that some people might feel justified, but that's certainly not what their lowest expectations were, you know, and I think they saw a lot of what they could use. I, I think they plan to use them more this season. So, yeah, I, I feel pretty comfortable with Miles Sanders as my running back one this year. If yeah, that's absolutely. the way, if that's the way my draft goes. And in my redraft league, I got Kamara in the first and I got Sanders in the second and I left just thrilled, you know, because it was those are the kind of backs that I want. I want those pass catching backs that can do it on the ground as well. Right. On the flip side, you know, I, we all our listeners want to know what to make with this Washington football team, you know, and that's that's in itself is getting hard enough to, uh, you know, it's becoming a little bit easier to pronounce instead of saying Redskins. But J.D. McKissick named the starter. You know, Bryce loves obviously in the mix. But what everyone wants to hear about is Antonio Gibson. So why don't you tell us, you know, I heard on Dynasty Crossroads a little bit here. What do you think of Antonio Gibson going into this mix? And is this a backfield that you're trying to avoid altogether? Or is, is Gibson that guy? So this is not a nice, easy, fun podcast to kick off the season. Got it, right? No, I am right. <laughs> um, I'm not. I thought Gibson was a really interesting prospect based on his profile, based on his cost, frankly, early in, early in the draft preparation season or what we want to call it and um, now you basically have to pay for like the top five percent range of his outcomes yeah. and the thing about gibson the reason he looks interesting and dynamic is because he never played running back he played running back a little bit and he played wide receiver a little bit and it's, it's a lim Bowden profile and frankly and he looked pretty good doing it now that means he basically doesn't compare to any past running back because no one of that profile's ever been successful in the NFL. So if you want to look at it from a historical point of view, no, it's like the worst bet in football right now. I didn't say that. I said if you only look at it that way. But right. the team does the team does seem to be showing a lot of trust, right? And he's pretty much the highest guy they've gotten their debt chart based on investment and based on expectation but here's the thing the other story is also true washington just doesn't care about this season so on balance i am no longer buying gibson i i would feel really uncertain about rolling him out week one no matter what the matchup is because i don't know what role he's going to have or if he's going to be any good in it and there's really nothing that can help us decide that now Anyone who's like, well, I watched the tape, bro. That's cool. That's actually, especially in this situation where he doesn't compare to anyone, you're going to have to, frankly. You're going to have to go watch some of him and just make a guess in your opinion or in your favorite grinder's opinion if he can make that leap. But outside of that, it's just I have no idea. And then I feel iffy on him as in my week. I hope I don't draft a team where I have to start a question mark week one. Yeah. Like I'm hoping to have Absolutely. my starters fairly locked in. But yeah, um, Gibson's a guy less than 80 touches, obviously, in college. So it's tough to even find too much tape on him, you know, and going on there. Player profiler had him compared to Joe Mixon. My buddy pointed that out the other day. And I'm like, that's there isn't much to go out there. You know, there's not a lot to compare him to. The athletic profile is fantastic, but you know, the production profile is kind of uncharted water, somewhere we've never really been before because of such little usage. Right. And and I know Bryce Love might be the other people's hope for upside here, but I've got Gibson taking the majority in my projections, taking the majority of the rushing game. It's just not enough to really push him inside the top 24 because that's a question mark. And you kind of got to have a lower expectation than you think his upside is until we see something, you know. Um, but honestly, I don't I don't have a lot of love for Bryce Love. Frankly, I think Peyton Barber has continually proved in a in a 
what's the word, undistinguished backfield. He can soak up touches and be just fine, and I think that's why the team probably pulled him in. Um, J.D. McKissick, sure, I guess. Um, I, the answer is probably just no for me right now. Right. <laughs> a, a roundabout way to definitely go no. Um, right. A lot of uh, other, other matchups to look at in this game, you know, we're going to kind of hit on a couple here is Terry McLaurin's a guy that's that interests a lot of people. You know, he torched the Eagles last year, 23.5 points per game in the two games he played against them. Darius Slay's there right now. But I noticed that you have Terry McLaurin lower than pretty much anybody in the industry. Yeah, um, can you tell us a little bit of, of the reason behind that? <laughs> um, not really. Uh, I haven't projected as a top 24 wide receiver, which is going to seem low to most people. But I think that's his medium range of outcomes and to be real clear i can't make a single bad i can't find a single bad thing to say about what he did in 2019 so statistically that's fine and i'm a fan of seeing projecting out a season 40 percent we can project out pretty well statistics that are sticky come out to about that standard fit 40 to 45 percent predictive or descriptive or however you want to say it if you're a real nerd um, but the rest of it is really important. That's a story we make for ourselves. And I know Terry McClellan comes from that fabled Ohio offense that, as J.J. Zacharyson said, he just seems impervious to analytics. I get it because Michael Thomas came from there. Now Terry McClellan comes in and does well. Um, but I can't. And I guess that makes sense. I, I've got to say all that. You should keep going with McClellan, however someone else says it. But the reason I have him lower is... I'm not a fan of saying Ohio State's just different. That's too much of an exception to me. I mean, what about the other receivers that came out between the two? What about the next guy who's also done nothing? Most people who do put up numbers like these guys in college don't produce. Why would I just it just in, out of fear of Michael Thomas? Like, I, I, don't, I don't play by fear, man. And, and when I look at it that way, even though his entire rookie season says this guy's going to be productive, We've had other good burst seasons from players with worse profiles. And the reason the higher profiles tend to work out is because those are the ones that repeat. Those are the ones continue. To put it that in less biased terms, because that's just that's that's the way I play, I guess. But um put it this way, if I don't like Gibson because I think the team just doesn't care about this season as much, then not then I've got to not like Terry McClellan. He was efficient last year on low volume. I think this team's going to be less successful, have less attempts, and he can't, even if he is, and everything from his rookie season says he is, just to be fair here, that he can maintain a good level, Good isn't going to be back good enough in a, in a worse offense. But maybe Dwayne Haskins is a lot better uh, than we expect. And in that case, I'll be really wrong on this. <laughs> Pretty much if you go on Twitter and you say any of the rookie wide receivers from last year aren't going to do well this year, you're going to catch some flack. And, and McLaurin's yeah. one of those guys. And everybody wants to believe in them. But what a guy who does his rookie year doesn't always pan out into the second year. There's a lot of things in there. I would say, and again, you should bet on rookie season stats. They're twice as yep. predictive of any college stats. Sophomore breakouts are the most common type of breakouts in the wide receiver pool. Mm -hmm. Like, go with what you see. But, you know, 60% of this stuff we don't see coming, and I'm just going to rely on what I'm used to or familiar with, and that's the players that come from college that were quote-unquote productive falling flat somewhat in the NFL. So, you know, I'm just writing it. <laughs> I'm writing it out. you got to make a negative bet somewhere. You, could, you don't just want to draft at ADP, and, and that's one of them. Yeah. And the but reason I he's lower isn't because I have such low expectation for him. It's because... 
once you consider if the team is less successful, if they have less pass attempts, if he can't maintain uh, incredibly good efficiency, then it becomes a lie for me to say I'll take him over other players I think have more positive situations with better reasons to expect production from college or even from the NFL. Like, I'm not trying to win an R-squared game with my ranks, if you know what I mean. Like, I should have him higher, but the honest truth is I'm going to take more upside, what I see as more upside shots over him, and that's why I have it ranked. My ranks aren't going to score well, but they're, they're an honest picture of, you know, where I'm taking my bits. Absolutely. I don't know if that matters at all, but there it is. No, I, I love how you break it down. Just a, a different kind of mentality on that, and I love it. Um, we have a listener question that kind of ties into this game. It's uh, Brandon at BBG at BBGBG. A lot of Bs and Gs, but he wants to know, you know, if you had the choice between Terry McLaurin, Antonio Gibson, Mark Ingram, full PPR, who are you going with week one? I think we almost answered it there, but between those three guys, full PPR, who are you rolling with? Uh, Gibson, McLaurin, and... Who else? And Mark Ingram. Mark Ingram. Um, well, typically you take the running back for flex, assuming this is a regular PPR league, you know. Um, so, yeah, I'll take Ingram, especially week one, where most people expect um, uh, J.K. Dobbins to be worked in more slowly. Um, Ingram had to be hyper-productive with touchdowns last year, but, I mean, he's still on the same team. They project to be still high-scoring. So, yeah, I'd probably go with Ingram. Yourself? Lot. Absolutely. I am in agreement. I mean, I always, when I'm talking flex, I'm going with that running back. If he's getting those guaranteed touches, especially with McLaurin going up against slay here week, you know, week one, we'll see what happens. Uh, the next one on our slate, Miami at new England. So this is the first time we get to see new England without Tom Brady. It just doesn't quite feel the same to predict, right? I mean, Vegas has them <laughs> as 6.5 point favorites, you know, in the past couple of years, whenever they played Miami, it was more almost two full touchdowns as, as a favorite, the lowest line set at 43, how do you see this Patriots offense shaking out? I mean, what are we looking at as far as this new look, New England Patriots? We don't know, right? And when we were, we're typically bad at project, predicting what Bill Belichick's going to do, um, I think some of the players on this team have fallen to insane levels just because they're going to be at least a league average team in, you know, plays that they run on the success they have, I think bare minimum which means Sonny Michel and James White. I mean, we can just never accept that James White's a decent bet to produce fantasy points, I guess. So both of those seem to be a little bit low. Edelman, I'm hopeful for. Uh, I think his game translates pretty well to every quarterback, and, they, uh, and he should maintain production. Um, but, yeah, it, like you say, it's a little difficult um, to project. With this new look offense, and especially going up against Miami, this is one of the lowest scoring games of the week, I think, according to Vegas as well. So they're not suggesting there's a lot of fantasy potential, but frankly, there still can be good some good plays. I'm really interested to see what Nikhil Harry does um, yeah. over the first three weeks at least. But mostly there's not many people I'm interested in starting, like if it's a DFS lineup, for example, this isn't the game I'm plundering. Thing. Maybe... Maybe because of their cost, I'd be interested in a James White or a Sonny Michelle. It's better. Yeah. We actually had one question here that, you know, our listener, um, it's Matt Foley at the not real Swami. You know, he wants to know <laughs> from this game in our last one, Sony Michelle, Jordan Howard, or Boston Scott. You know, this is his second flex play here in a full PPR. I do think Cam's going to stamp the league this year if he can. But anyway, sorry. Um, flex decision between who? <laughs> we got Sony Michelle, Boston Scott, and Jordan Howard. This is just a really 
weird question. Like you shouldn't, right? <laughs> you shouldn't be having to start these guys. Like if you went this heavy wide receiver, just start the wide receiver. <laughs> um, but uh, Sonny Michelle, um, I could look at the projections, but I'm just going to go ahead and guess. Uh, Jordan Howard, I guess. Yeah, that's, that's assuming he gets too. his standard share of that offense. He's gonna, you know, get you that eight point floor, which is, I guess, what we're hoping for with these three. Yeah, not the most exciting question there, Matt. But we mm -hmm. like to uh, we like to be as interactive as possible and, and get as many questions as possible. Oh no, I didn't mind the question. Like, sorry, I didn't mean to shit over the leaves. <laughs> it, it was just hey, unexpected. I'm all about Cam on the uh, Up Yours tour because I took him in Scott Fishbowl, you know, and I'm uh, right really. Yeah, I, I feel like he has a high upside QB two. You know, he wasn't a guy that I no no way, shape, or form I want him as my QB one in Superflex, but I'm okay with the upside of his him as a QB two this season. Mm, yeah, I think he's got a lot of upside in that. Yeah. Yep. Uh the next game, then this is one of the more higher scoring games here as according to Vegas odds, but Cleveland and then Baltimore's a nine point favorite here. So <laughs> the the question <laughs> I have <laughs> Yeah, is uh you know, Kareem Hunt signs that big two-year extension here, $13.5 million, which puts him on the roster through 2022. Nick Chubb becomes a free agent at the end of 2021. Do these guys coexist this year? And as far as dynasty, I mean, who's your preference here at at cost? You know, are you a Kareem Hunt several rounds later, or you believe in Nick Chubb? I know where's the value right now. Chubb, I guess, his value is probably the most likely to drop with Hunt signing a contract. But I like both guys. I don't know... I said on Twitter, this reminds me of um, Zach Ertz and uh, Goddard more than anything else because everyone spends all offseason convincing themselves they know what teams are going to do and what teams should do and one of them's getting traded or moving. Then it doesn't happen and they don't like the players because of it. It's like that yep. was your fault. That right. was a mistake you made that you had enough hubris to think this is obviously what is going to like, even if they wanted to do that, it would have been hard to pull off because NFL trades are fairly hard to pull off and both players were productive. And that's, that's the conclusion there. I think like last year, both players are going to have a really good portion of this offense. They're going to be productive because they're both really good players, high level, high talent players. Like, yeah, I, I mean, I'm pretty excited to see both of them again. Uh, yeah, and Stefanski offense here. I mean, improved offensive line. Yeah, I'm hoping now, for a boost from this year. Yeah, I, I love this offense in general. I mean, Odell Beckham, Jarvis Landry, two of the better values when it comes to the dynasty community. They've pretty much written them both off for dead. How do you like those guys? I mean, not for dead, but I mean, they've pushed them back massively. What do you think no, of no, Odell Beckham and Jarvis I, Landry? I agree. I was just looking at who I'm highest on by dividing it by round and stuff like that. But um, Odo Beckham and Jarvis Landry, I'm easily higher on those relative to where they're drafted than any other wide receiver on the board right now, which is saying something. And um, to be honest, like I get the confusion over Austin Hooper, Odo Beckham, Jarvis Landry, and you've got two good running backs. But my overall general sense is good players on the same team tend to help each other. Odo Beckham had more targets with a similar target share than he did when he was on New York Giants the year before, his efficiency suffered a little bit because the offense struggled with one of the hardest schedules in the NFL last year, it turns out, after we look back over the season. And, and he should be a little more acclimatized to the offense. Like I kind of like all of this. Give me all of last year's hype at a discount. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. And it feel, I feel a little uncertain because it all kind of rests on Cam Baker Mayfield live up to at least his median expectation. And I'm not a quarterback evaluator. you got to know your weaknesses. And I don't know when a quarterback's going to be good or bad. He looked good to me from college, but, you know, you know, I don't know. 
Uh, I can't be as confident even in that. So 20, it, it rests a lot on that, and I don't know. Yeah, 2018 Baker Mayfield was fantastic. I mean, he broke the rookie quarterback touchdown record. He had that swagger. 2019 Baker Mayfield came out a little bit on the chubby side. You know, like it wasn't <laughs> – didn't seem more, he seemed more hungry okay. for the thing, you know. But he just didn't have that same kind of, uh, you know, swagger. The offensive line was off. And everybody seems to crap on Odell Beckham, no pun intended, based off the media today. Uh, him and Jarvis Landry just keep getting better value. I mean, Jarvis Landry is the wide receiver 34 on DLF it's right now. It's just stupid. I mean, I hate to use the word stupid with this stuff. We're all having fun, do what you want. But at a certain point, like, there's nothing in Jarvis Landry's profile or how he's performed or – like, that's just crazy to me. Like, <laughs> we, get, we hate players so much. We're like, nah, just to give up on those points. Okay. And, <laughs> okay, bro. I mean, that's, that's, we, even, we, we were like that when he was with Miami. We we're like, well, it's on so many targets. And then he just kept doing it. And he he's always in that top 24 range. And we're drafting him at 34 as if he is 34 years old. You know, we're drafting him as if he's already on the way out. And Jarvis Landry gets it done every year. So I feel like that offense, and we talk about it a lot on my other podcast, the Dynasty Refinery, that Cleveland offense is, is definitely due for some positive regression. I mean, there's some exciting pieces there. Uh, definitely going forward. The one guy that everybody keeps asking, should they plug him in their lineup? I got five or six questions to this. I think he's a league winning type talent if something happens to Mark Ingram, but everyone's saying they want to get JK Dobbins in that starting lineup. And I'm under the assumption that we're looking maybe 10, 12 touches. And that's not the kind of guy I'm trying to roll out there week one. What do you think of JK Dobbins long-term and are you willing to roll him out there? Yeah. The recon decisions, especially if we're thinking more redraft um, then you just have to be calmer on those. You have to see something. Um, and not a little something, because then you roll them out week two and it doesn't happen again and you're in big trouble, like a Sammy Watkins. But dynasty-wise, I don't understand why I'm higher on rookie running backs than most. Like, that's not normally the, the space I occupy. Mm-hmm. And I get there with second-round picks, but I, I spent three years listening to everyone and their mother tell me how great these guys were, and I mostly mocked it. But when I look at their profiles, they live up to at least half of their hype, and that's better than that's better than you know all but one or two backs from any particular running back class. Here we have four guys who honestly live up to about half that amount of hype. And like I said, projection wise, and we said we'd start Mark Ingram because that's a reasonable expectation that J.K. Dobbins takes a while to work in. Mm-hmm. Um, or Mark Ingram has the job, and he's a really talented running back who worked well last year. But if we just expect what happened last year all the time, that's part of why I'm betting against Terry McLaurin, then, you know, you you hit that 40% rate, not that 55 that we're aiming for. So I actually expect a lot more from Dobbins than I think what is reasonable to expect right now. I'll say it that way. Um, but, yeah, Mark Ingram's really good, but I still remember it was here. With Lamar Jackson taking up so much of the rushing total, it's difficult for any running back to make an impact in the same way they can on other depth charts. So I'm guessing that his rushing gets rolled back at least a little bit um, and that J.K. Dobbins is rolled out in force more uh, than we can reasonably expect right now. And that's just based on there's nothing that says J.K. Dobbins can't do that. Most years I'm trying to quell the expectations on a guy with his profile and his draft capital. I'd be like, whoa, 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 let's calm down a little bit. This year people are like, well, maybe he'll be a – maybe he'll get a few starts. Maybe he'll David Johnson. I'm like, I'm not – Get hyped, man. Season's here. J.K. Thompson yeah. is really talented in 
the second best offense, in my opinion, in the league last year, and things have only gotten better um, team-wise. So, yeah, kind of excited for him. He's my most owned dynasty uh, rookie from this year, and I have not left a single redraft league without grabbing him late uh, because I feel like he has league-winning type potential. You know, if Ingram goes down, that's a guy that I'm excited to have on my team. Uh, See, I, I think he, I think he can get there without Ingram going down. All respect to Mark Ingram, but I don't think he may well, have been what J.K. Dobbins might be at some point in his career because he's been a very good running back. But I don't think he's there now. Just no, no. not an I age think... thing, especially with running backs. There's, there's a quick drop off, and teams can choose it. And this team seems to be choosing Dobbins, in my opinion. Yeah. But you know, well, they, Harbaugh's even come out and said that you know they they can foresee that happening here with Dobbins. And it's exciting. The next game, not so exciting. You know, they have the the Jets at the Bills, and the Bills are ten point favorites here. This is the lowest scoring projection of the entire slate. Is there anyone here you're trusting to roll out there? Um, you know, the Jets, Jet, especially the fact that the Jets were number two in run defense last year. Is there anyone you're willing to roll out there week one? You know, Devin Singletary, Zach Moss, aside from Diggs and Allen, is there anything this game excites you at all? Well, you know, rushing defenses and the well, DSTs, let's put it that way, notoriously inaccurate year to year, whether they were good at something or not last year, it honestly matters nothing to this year. Um, I think Zach Moss is an interesting start week one. I mean, someone could have drafted him in that range. He certainly has flex appeal. Um, going up against the Jets in what looks to be a more ground-and-pound game, a very slow, low-scoring game. But, you know, um, these these aren't the games, man. These aren't the games I'm really ho- really uh, expecting to get a lot out of. But that puts me more on a DFS mind. I mean, it, it depends what your team's looking like. Like, if you've got Jamison Crowder on your roster from the Jets, like, yeah, he. if you've gone thin at wide receiver, yeah, he's someone you should definitely start. He's drafted way too late as well for what should be his reasonable expectation. Le'Veon Bell, I think you have. I think he's a start week one, despite the fact the team continually wants to fade him, or the coach at least. But the same tr- was true with Aaron Jones. They continually want to fade Aaron Jones, and last year he managed to find a way. And I think Le'Veon Bell can do that at least week one um, against Buffalo. But you know, um, I think you have to start Le'Veon Bell probably where you likely drafted him but then we're talking about dynasty teams so maybe he's your fourth running back so it really depends what it's looking like but there are some players here that would feel comfortable starting like bell like jameson crowder that'd be interesting to see what zach moss could do week one um and you know lots of people expect josh allen to just keep the party going from last year as well so he's startable as well absolutely love it uh next game moving right along here we got indianapolis at jacksonville indianapolis seven point favorites now you know, with the negative game scripts, Minshew mania, all that fun and exciting around around him. But the team obviously seems to be treating this more like a dynasty rebuild, you know, by cutting Leonard Fournette nine days before the season and trading everything on the defense. Um, on your last you know, episode of Dynasty Crossroads, a guy that I absolutely love, guy that I'm super high on, you know, that obviously over 70 receptions, 1,000 yards, eight touchdowns. I liked his, you know, decent draft capital, liked his college profile. DJ Chark seems to be another one of those guys you're a little low on. Um, any specific reason on Chark or what, you know, school up the listeners here. Is it more than Jacksonville or is it the talent of Chark? It's it's the same reasoning as McLaurin. I don't think his profile was 
that decent at all from college. Jacksonville has a history of rolling out one wide receiver that seems to prove something and then, then just get Wally Pitt the next season by the next guy. And that includes Alan Robinson, who frankly we definitely know was above all of those guys. He had a better profile. He's better in the NFL than all of those guys. Like, so I'm a little hesitant on DJ Chuck for the same reasons. And yeah, same reason on the team as well. And you probably drafted Chuck somewhere that, or traded for Chuck somewhere out of value that you have to start him. Um, and that's fine. Uh, I think uh, Indianapolis can definitely put up a fight. Jacksonville looks like a terrible team right now. But if Indianapolis are rolling, which they really could, um, with if Rivers has got that one more year in him, um, I think they have a decent underrated depth chart here. Um, so Chuck's probably a start uh, for sure. T.Y. Hilton as well. Um, none of the other wide receivers in this game interest me as starts in any shape or form, unless you're real desperate. Um, Rivers is a perennial wide receiver, uh, quarterback too. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, and the only other thing is back to the rookie running backs, like a reasonable expectation that I've just had that hammered into me that I can't have Jonathan Taylor as their lead running back week one, but that's what I expect. I and do I, don't, I don't think if we're not expecting these guys to take over their jobs pretty damn quickly, then... Then we, I have, I want a serious talk with anyone who ever did any video or college analysis for the last three years. Where'd you go? Because you're all going to be back if any of them do it. Where'd you go? Your takes a week if you like Marlon Max going to be the one. Like, what, what, what were you doing for three years? Get off my feed with this college we, hype. Of how great this class is. Oh, but Marlon Max going to be the running back week one. I get that it's reasonable historically. But Jonathan Taylor is meant to be a perennial talent, the best talent in the draft class, who's gone to a team that wants him, that wants to use him. And Marlon Mack, while he's been a really solid running back in the NFL, well, so was Trey Mason. And he didn't get quite as long of a run. And Jonathan Taylor is meant to be something different than that. Now, either you feel that way or you stop pushing college analysis onto my timeline, you weak take habit. There you go. Like That's it. as hard as I can make yeah. it. <laughs> we take that and then, and sometimes we have the overreaction, right? Like Clyde Edwards Alaire, and then all of a sudden Damian Williams holds out or he's out for the season and now we're looking at oh let's move him way up the board like is Damian Willis or Damian Williams or is Marlon Mack are those the guys that we're worried about when we draft perennial you know guys that are right. supposed to come in and be studs right off the bat and again and Taylor is that stud I mean he's that guy his athletic profile through the roof I mean he's got such high potential with the number one offensive line according to pro football focus Jonathan Taylor could be that guy this year and like you said off the rip, like that's not, I don't like Marlon Mack. I know we love putting it in those terms, love and hate and Matthew Berry and everything else, but I've been consistently hiring on Mack for years now because everyone was like, oh, Jordan Wilkins or this other running back. It's like the dude's been good in college. He's been decent in the NFL. He's going to continue to be that. He's got a decent pass catching. In fact, that's mostly why we liked him coming from college. He's a pretty good pass catcher. And like, it's not that I hate Marlon Mack. It's just that we liked Jonathan Taylor more. He did better in college. The team seems to think so too. And they just spent a second round pick on the dude. Like that's, that's how running back rolls guys. Unfortunately, they're not wide receivers. Like Absolutely. we can't apply the same roles. Speaking of wide receivers. And I know that you love undrafted free agents. Yes, I do. <laughs> Talk to me about Zach Pascal. You know, I'm getting, I'm yeah. seeing people in dynasty dropping him. Is there a, is there still a possibility for him to, you know, be that someone that should be on the back end of your rosters that could still produce. 
Okay, here's something where I disagree with, you know, our team projections here. I think Zach Pascal's wide receiver two in this depth chart, which isn't saying a lot because I expect Jack Doyle to be in play as well. I think Naheem Hines and Marlon Mack are going to have really good receiving roles in this offense. I don't know if one of them will edge it into fantasy relevance, and I expect Jonathan Taylor to be good in helping the team move along. Phillip Rivers is a very scored quarterback. There's a lack of room for fantasy relevance here, and he's reminding me more and more of Kendrick Bourne, who's also shown to be above average talent in the NFL, decent, can hold on a depth chart. He's like the glue of a wide receiver core for that team, even though they keep experimenting with, with less productive, kind of crappier talents. But that doesn't mean that Kendrick Bourne hit the top 24 last year. And it doesn't mean either of them are Adam Thielen. That's the upside we're shooting for with undrafted free agents. But it does mean, I think, Zach Pascal's, like, I know lots of people like to fantasize about Paris Campbell, who was decent on his seven touches or whatever it was last year. Um, Who's the other guy? Michael Pittman. Travis May, to be fair, is a big Michael Pittman guy. He thinks some of the new stuff that's going on in college with the transfers that they can do more often and earlier and play later are affecting models right now. So he maybe he's right about that. But in, I'm going to need more sam- more of a sample size before I know if that's honestly happening. And um, so far, it hasn't seemed to have affected any of our rookie evaluations from last year, for example. But um, yeah, I think Zach Pascal is better than both. Let's just say it plainly. I think he's already proven to be better in both in the NFL. I think both are on better teams in college or how teams are ranked in college, but that matters very little to me because you can come from a great offense and be trash. Um, And that's what their analytics look like to me in terms of their market share, their yards per team pass attempt. They don't look to have been done the same things good players in the NFL did when they were in college. That's the way of saying it. Whereas Zach Pascal, why he came from, you know, nowhere (laughs) and no one likes him. He was pretty decent. Um, on the team last year, he was that glue. He was that wide receiver too. Um, he's had as much success in the NFL as someone like Antonio Gibson, for example. And while Antonio Gibson is a high upside flyer, people like to take Pascal's, you know, pick 132 in most drafts. Yeah. Um, and again, this is with Kendrick Bourne level, maybe a flex replacement. But I do think there's upside there. And um, if Rivers really can boy, boy the offense a little bit, if Jonathan Taylor does get rolling, they score more points than we expect. The wide receiver on two on that team might be valuable. It's a long shot that it's Zach Pascal, but I think from what we can see of them now, Zach Pascal is the most proven. Yeah, trying to tell Twitter that it's not Paris Campbell, you'll get yelled at. You know, I, a guy was trying to tell me Paris Campbell he is, is higher up than Tyler Boyd the other day and argued with me for more, longer than I probably should have even given him time for. Uh, and, the next- and they might be right. Zach Reed from the Dynasty Dummies loves him too, and we argue about it all the time. I, uh, yeah, I said it. I don't see it, but you know, I'm wrong a lot, so it's fine. <laughs> so the next couple games, I'll try to get just one guy out of this. Uh, Chicago at Detroit. Obviously, you're starting Robinson. You're starting Galladay. You know, you're starting those kind of guys. But tell me about the Detroit running back situation. I mean, Cream rises to the top. We're obviously high on Taylor. We're obviously high on Dobbins. DeAndre Swift doesn't seem to be getting that same kind of play here. What do you think of his possibilities this year with Detroit? Yeah, I mean, it's the same running back take I've gotten. I didn't believe the hype because it was just hype. Then I looked at what they actually did. They were good in college, guys. (laughs) There were these profiles, what you want out of the new running backs to draft in your rookie drafts. And they were drafted with significant draft capital to good offenses that plan to use them. 
why are you being so cowardly now after spending three years telling me how great they were? Now it's, well, you know, the guy they drafted someone to replace is probably going to hold on to it. I will say I've developed a lot more respect for um, Kerry and Johnson. Like a, lot, a few of the things that have come out this offseason made people laugh at him. It honestly made me appreciate him a lot more. One last season, he was doing a lot better than I ever expected. And I remember that um, because we should know and notice when we're wrong and not ignore it. Karen Johnson was a lot better than I thought he could be last season. And the two news stories that came out was one, him, his, him admiring DeAndre Swift's footwork and saying he can't do that. And people were like, haha, yeah. But all I heard is a player who knows his skill set, honestly assessing his ability and intend to work hard at that thing. That's great. That's really good stuff. And then him saying he's one with his knee brace. I'm like a guy recognizes his limitations and is going to protect himself and work hard to stay healthy. I like that too. So um, if I see more of a split for a rookie running back, even early, it's probably Detroit. Um, but the, the team shows every intention. In my opinion, when you weed out most of the noise, most of the stories that we like to tell ourselves and then forget we told because that was the team's fault afterwards, like um, the, the the team seems to intend to use Swift, and based on you know everything from analytics to tape grinders expressing their wonder at his moving feet, and um, says he can do it. So yeah, I expect him to edge out Johnson for the lion's share of the offense. Maybe maybe it'll take a little longer because Johnson, especially early in the season, I mean he's going to be healthy and he's he's very good. He's a very good player. Um, so yeah, that's a situation I see as being more of a committee early on. More, more towards the consensus, but I do think Swift will eventually take over it. I'm just betting on these rookie running backs, man, because most hit. <laughs> I totally love it. Uh, next game, we're looking at Seattle uh, at 2.5 points favorites in Atlanta. Obviously, we're starting Wilson. We're starting Ryan, Gurley, Carson, Julio, Ridley, both the wide receivers in Seattle. Talk to me about Hayden Hurst a little bit. You know, Some people have him ranked as high as fifth overall in redraft. Um, you know, from a tight end who basically hasn't had over 35 receptions or 400 yards in any season of his first three. Are we overhyped on Hayden Hurst or do you believe it? No, I don't believe it at all. I don't believe any of it. I, I got asked, I got asked to remove Jaden Graham from my projections because they didn't need him in the system. I was like, yeah, you do. I mean, and that's against people that are a lot smarter than me, like fact check and make sure I'm not being crazy and actually group these projections out. And I was like, if I'm going to bet on a tight end in Atlanta, just because, then it's Jaden Graham. He hasn't been great in the NFL, but he's done something. And the team liked him at one point. He's young. He's further into his career in the NFL. I know Hayden Hurst is about to retire at this point, but in terms of his experience in the NFL, Jaden Graham's got more, and that tends to be a good thing for tight ends. I've, take, I've taken late shots on Graham and dynasty teams just because. Just um, but... It does fall into the same fallacy of, look, Atlanta need no tight end. Uh, they, they don't. They're taking a flyer on Hurst. And, you know, I guess the team and the coaches know a lot more than I do about what they need. Um, but, I, like, he wasn't particularly great in college. He's, like, four years older than my grandmother, I'm pretty sure. Um, and, yeah, I, I don't know how... The, they got conned into taking that trade, but I don't understand it at all. There's no need for a tight end on this depth chart. Hayden Hurst has done nothing to prove he can take significant volume, let alone create it. Or like, I wish him luck again. It sounds like I hate the person. I, I wish Hayden Hurst would be, you know, the next 
and Travis Kelsey, as far as I'm concerned, all the luck in the world. I would love having another player in my dynasty team or leagues that, you know, you want to roster. Maybe he can do it, but I don't see any reason to expect it. Yeah, everybody loves him because he's like Ginger Thor with the long hair and the muscles. and the. I'm sure he's a really cool guy. I just... I was on a podcast the other day and they told me I was crazy because I thought Austin Hooper was better than Hayden Hurst talent wise. And I said, he absolutely is. I mean, you put him in that same situation. It doesn't mean he's going to put up Austin Hooper tight end one number. I don't know why people tilt on tight end so much. They want it to be wide receiver, I think, is part of it. And it's just not. Look, tight end repeats at the highest rate in the NFL. Screw your running backs. I know it seems impossible that Alvin Kamara and Ezekiel Elliott and Christian McCaffrey. It seems impossible to me these guys aren't going to repeat. They repeat at a lot lower rate than tight ends. The only things that we can honestly say, say, describe what a good player is, Hooper has. Hurst has done none of it. So I mean, that's just that. That's where you should be. If I can, if I can uh, be reasonable to expect Zach Pascal not to be a thing in real terms when doing projections, you should really, you should really be okay with that with Hayden Hurst. Streamer appeal, sure. Matt Ryan can throw touchdowns to anyone, right? And this offense is going to be prolific again. And see against the Seahawks, I expect it to be a phenomenal game. I'm really looking forward to that one. So sure, he can catch a touchdown week one, then not for the next few weeks, and then one again. And yeah, that's the role I see him in. Like he's one of the viable streamers, but you got to pay more for him than most. I agree. Now, you, like Doyle, you frankly. Yeah. Oh, I love Doyle. No, you you talked about how running backs don't always re, always repeat. I mean, it's fifty four percent of the guys you draft as RB ones are going to finish as RB ones, historically speaking. And one yes. of those guys is it. Well, it was the article I was just reading the other day. But um, basically, okay. what you're looking at. Let's talk, let's look at Aaron Jones. I mean, obviously, he was the RB two overall last year. Now people have him more of an RB two. You know in that range with AJ Dillon coming in here, do you think Aaron Jones is underrated at this point? I'm looking at something. Is Aaron Jones underrated at this point? Yeah, he is. Um, it's for really good reasons, but that means that his value is decent. Um, he's got a Le'Veon Bell problem, but while, but both are being taken with that in mind. The market's really efficient. I keep saying this, and I'm not sure entirely my meaning come through. It means that people are adjusting for reasonable things like Hayden Hurst isn't being taken on the top five that that's goddamn Rams tight end. And that is a little crazy, but most um, average positions actually take into account a lot of what is reasonable to take into account. And it's the same with Aaron Jones and it's the same with Le'Veon Bell. They've got a team problem. The team clearly doesn't value them the way we value them. Now, to Adam Hardser's point, um, he was talking with, um, uh, what was it, Fantasy Numbers podcast the other day or Fantasy Points podcast, and they did a zero running back episode and it came up, and he was talking about how we think we know how players should be used better than teams when the long-running history says that we don't. Like Lamar Miller is the most recent example I can think of. We thought, just give him the ball more, but then he goes to another team that's willing to and we don't get that much more out of him. So maybe we should trust that teams know what they're doing a little bit more than we like to pretend on Twitter. Um, and so that's kind of where I am with that. Like, I um, think they're good. I don't think, I think the market's adjusting for Jones's and Bell's team problem. And I think both teams clearly have a problem with them. But again, Jones found a way last season. So I think he's not undervalued right now. I think he's at exactly the right value. I kind of love making that call, you know? 
absolutely. he's like early second round pick or so, and in a in a in a year where everyone's taking a lot of running backs early, um, that's adjusted as well. Like you kind of have to draft running backs a little higher this year because everyone wants running backs, even if you want to fade them a little bit. So yeah, I, I think it's I think it's right on the mark right now. Next game has some serious running back appeal. You're looking at the Chargers and the Bengals. I mean, obviously you want you want Allen, you want Boyd, you want those kind of guys in there. Talk to me about the running backs here, Austin Eckler and Joe Mixon. Value wise, right now, you you know, I know you're big on Austin Eckler. Mixon got the contract there. What do you think of both of these guys? Forty six percent of running backs drafted in the top twelve finished in the top twelve between 2013 and 2019, according to DLF ADP. I'm just I saying. Did it. I did it um, on, <laughs> no, when I did it on Dynasty Refinery. It was from 2011 on, so maybe, oh, maybe 2011 yeah. through 2013 was a little bit tighter. <laughs> yeah, that, that's roping in the ADP. I can't get on DLF, and also some really high running back years. To be fair, but um, yeah. no, yeah, I see your point. Um, what what was the question? I'm no, bad about- on this structured podcast, man. I'm used to just <laughs> riffing. <laughs> no, basically, talk to me about Austin Eckler and and Joe Mixon. You know, we're looking at similar type. Okay projection here as far as points but the value wise is nowhere close in the dynasty community i am way too i am way too high on austin eckler just for anyone that looks at my ranks but you just can't put an undrafted free agent as a top five running back in a season and not expect me to be overly high on them that's just the way it is you've got to appreciate that i have some things i will never let go of um look uh, the team's gonna be less prolific i think is a reasonable expectation i think it's a reasonable expectation that austin eckler is gonna have competition for touches joshua kelly was very productive in college one of the more predictive stats is actually points per game at running back in their best season which is very unlike other positions looking at just their best season but and um, he's one of the four running backs in this class that got 20 points per game and really throughout his career. I think that's his average. Um, and that's hella impressive. And you have to adjust that for what you know about college. I don't really know much about where he played, but it is interesting. Because um, it does correlate well to fantasy points in the first three years. Josh, uh, Justin J- Jackson is a player I was high on from his draft class. He's got an all-round skill set. Hasn't proved that he can move players out his way on a depth chart, but running back doesn't exactly work that way especially when you've got Melvin Gordon in front of you, to be fair, um, in the NFL. Um, he got a decent share of the workload last year, even with Eckler going off in, the, in his efficiency. So, yeah, I love Eckler. I have him higher than consensus. I have him as a top 12, top 8 running back, I think. And that's reasonably way too high. <laughs> I think top 14 would probably be a fairer bet for Austin Eckler just because Again, less team success, less trips to the red zone, less volume. None of that adds up into great things coming off a year where you already had pretty higher efficiency. Yeah. No, I saw a stat on Twitter the other day. You know, even if he had 50 less receptions last year, he still would have finished as the RB7. So, you know, he's still going to yeah, get the workload. And he's great. He's, he's underappreciated because people tell that narrative. On the flip side, is but. Joe Mixon <laughs> overappreciated because of that? Well, the thing about Eckler is all of that's true, but you kind of have to draft him as you say it's underappreciated, but you kind of have to draft him as that top eight running back right now if you want him on your team. And that sucks. Trade value is different. Like you say, people don't necessarily feel that when they're on their rosters. I didn't get that quite for him in trade, but I had him in like four out of five dynasty leagues that I've kept into this season. Um, And I think I've traded him off three and I got nothing like that value in trade. Um, And so, yeah. Um, who's the guy you moved on to though? Joe Mixon. Same, Mixon. same game. I think that's kind of perspective. 
That's the reverse. Mixon's never shown that ceiling in production, but he has done really well in a rough situation. The question with Mixon this year, as well as if you care to factor in off-field concerns, but um, it's if Scott Barrett right. And the answer to that question is normally it's normally safe to say yes. Okay, that's normally a guy you just want to agree with. But he has high expectations for Cincinnati. He thinks Joe Burrow can beat the average or even the high percentile range of rookie quarterbacks. And where I'm not a quarterback evaluator, it's really hard to clap back at that. Um, is it reasonable to expect Cincinnati to be better with Joe Burrow as a rookie than Andy Dalton, who's had a top five season, but was always kind of a, a, a perennial average talent? Reasonable? I don't know. I think it's really reasonable to trust some of the evaluation evaluators as saying he can. Um, like I said, uh, Scott Burrow is solid gold as far as I'm concerned. So I have mixed and lower than consensus, and it's the thing that makes me the most nervous about my running back ranks. One, I know Eckler's too high, but I'm worried that um, Mixon should be above Sanders. Right now, someone just asked me a start since question, but uh, oh no, it's a draft question. Does it take Sanders, Jacobs, Joe Mixon? Um, and I had it ranked in that order, Sanders first, then Jacobs and Joe Mixon. And that makes me really worried because if that team is better, with Joe Burrow, he should be on top of that list. And Absolutely. so, yeah, it's a difficult area in the ranks right now. And kind of got to kind of got to find an X factor. I can tell you what's reasonable is Sanders, Jacobs, Mixon. But when 60% of the season isn't, isn't just a reasonable expectation, weird stuff happens all the time. And I think I just was, yeah, I just listened to um, Matthew Kelly and JJ Zacharyson. I think this was a couple of episodes ago because I'm really far behind. But um, JJ described it as he could be this year's Dalvin Cook. And I think I was discussing that um, earlier in the offseason with someone as well. Like if you're going to bet on a Dalvin Cook this year, that kind of breakout, we know he's talented. We have other concerns. With Cook, it was injuries. Um, uh, with Mixon, it's can the team be as or more successful. Um, I think that's a really easy, uh, safe comparison. And to be fair, you should mostly draft for upside. Me, I feel better getting Sanders because I'm not not a big running back drafter early anyway most of the time. But, um, yeah, it makes me nervous. The guy who takes Mixon is probably taking a smarter shot. Yeah, that's where the I'm at. The upside's there. I mean, I'm all about Mixon this year. But the interesting thing, like you said, is it's going to swing off of what happens with Joe, Joe I Burrow. I think so. And, and Don't get me wrong. I, I, a running back can get there without the team being phenomenally yeah. successful. But I think we've seen – Joe Mixon be incredibly good with what he's given on a bad team. Yeah, and so, one of the worst offensive lines in the league. And now, yeah, you know, it, right? the thing with him in college is he was a prolific receiver. I mean, he was able yeah, to exactly. really but, get it done. And he's yet to have over 35 receptions in a season. And you, you that's something that could definitely be on was the rise. He, and, was he a top 12 running back last year? I forget. I think he finished as RB13. He was like right something in like that. that. But in he, that I mean, he's right in that range. And if you're showing you can do that on a bad or worse version of your team, like – it's reasonable to have Mixon way higher than consensus right now. Um, but yeah, those are, I can lay out the reasons as far as what I, I can tell you what I'm doing on my draft. I'm taking Sanders, but I'm not, yeah. again, like I said, I'm not trying to be the best fantasy analyst that wins all, like it's not me. I just want to know where everything at, what's true, what's not true. Now I'm going to have fun. And that's where it's at. Reasonable yeah. to, but I think Sanders, Jacobs, Mixon, 
But, you know, you got to take your shots. And if, if if you see Mixon as that guy, you should just do it. You should be really yeah. – that's not a bad bet. That's If it, goes, if it, it doesn't work out, you made a good decision. It just didn't work yeah. out. That's fine. And, and people always seem to have this, and it makes the most sense when they ask you those type of questions. It's those guys that are boom, boom, boom right together. You know what I mean? And you got to right. trust your gut a little bit because, you know, me personally, I had it the opposite. But they're all right there in that same range. I know I could, you and I could talk for hours on this, and I do appreciate and love that you came on here. Get your perspective on things. We can cover the one o'clock slate. You know, I feel like we could put a, put a couple more hours in on this, but I wanted to keep you at that hour. I appreciate you coming on here because okay. you are someone that I look up to in the dynasty community. Was thrilled to draft with you and Scott Fishbowl. Um, you know, and that was that, that's a fun division there with you know with Shane and and uh, it's a really Jeff fun Lambert division. And, and all those guys. So um, why don't you tell the listeners where they can find you? If you guys aren't following you, you absolutely should. But why don't you tell them uh, where, where to find you and anything you got going on right now? Yeah, I'm going to finish my point instead. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, the reason I leave it there is because I don't want to take that part of fantasy out. For one thing, I, you owe me nothing if you get a winning team. Like I'm offering, or anyone else. You can thank them, but by all means, thank the people that help you or provide you fun content. But at the end of the day, you make the decision. And so I'm telling yeah. you, is take Joe Mixon. And then if it works out, it's not like, well, thank goodness, P.A. Howdy said, like, that's bullcrap, man. I Like, even if I said that, I didn't make the decision. I don't want to take that part of fantasy out. You should trust you. It's half the fun yeah. of making your bet and getting it right and standing on the hill and saying you all got it wrong. Like, why would That's I ever try I, and do anything to take that away from fantasy football? Yeah. Like, let's just understand I, the lines and you go stand on your hill. It's fine. Yeah. When people ask, like, what's your rankings between these guys? I try to do tiers a little bit more so they can kind of make a decision in that tier a lot more so <laughs> than, like, that's my RB7 and my RB8, but they might be in different tiers kind of thing. But I, I mean, I it conflicts with my – you do have to have an opinion. And I, I said it, Sanders. But, you know – like you gotta have strong opinions because no one wants to sign in to say maybe they want to be they want to agree with you and they want to disagree with you is what I've found, and so I try to have one opinion, but um, I'm still on off season mode where I'm trying to just separate out what's reasonable and what's not. We have to get back to take season. And um, yeah, thanks for having me on, man. Don't have me in, as an idol anymore because that's a ridiculous statement and not a thing you should do. Like get better idols. <laughs> I just named like three no, that no, I, I think are much idol. better people to idolize or, or yeah. to look up to. And like I say, I'm just I, just playing fantasy football uh, in much more than my free time at this point. You can find me at PA Howdy on Twitter. I write for Dynasty League Football or DLF.com. Um, I do player projections both weekly and season long for playerprofiler.com. And yeah, come hit me up in any of those places. And I'm always happy to talk about football. All right. Thanks again for tuning in, guys. Again, you can find me at Dynasty underscore Dad FF. Thanks for tuning in to the Dynasty Dad podcast and enjoy the process.